podcast. All right, guys. Well, hello tonight. How's everyone doing? Hey, crashing the party again. (laughs) Bob, you're becoming a regular. You must be bored. You must be bored, Bob. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Either that or you just don't have plans on Fridays. I have so many plans, man. Like organizing my to-do list. (laughs) It's like, you know, we can have a good excuse on the East Coast here because it's 1130 at night. What else are we going to do? But you still got three hours. (laughs) You still got three whole hours to enjoy yourself. So tonight we're going to talk about what big companies can do that small companies can't do or that small companies have a hard time doing. So, uh, Bob or Hector, you want to kick us off? Calling me out right off the bat. (laughs) Why not? You know, you, uh, okay. Yeah. You might have an opinion about this. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to take it easy on me tonight. (laughs) We are. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think uh, we're talking about this in the context of KPMG UK, uh, basically stopping their small business bookkeeping service. They call it small business accounting, which includes bookkeeping and I guess taxes and cloud accounting, all that kind of stuff. So, um, they mentioned, you know, it was a poor experience for their customers. Therefore, there was not a lot of traction, customers complaining. Uh, I assume that not, there's not enough margin. And then on the other hand, you know, Brexit was happening. So they had tons of profit, tons of work from the consulting side and increased their profits by like 50%. So hmm. I think it's a combination of like, oh, this little thing, it's, it's creating a lot of resources. A lot of customers are complaining and we're not profitable at all. Why do we continue with this thing? So they shut it down after five years. Basically, that's kind of the story uh, that Accounting Web published, right? Right. And Bob, do you know know if um, KPMG, Small Business Accounting Division, was something that they uh, home grew or did they acquire a small accounting firm? Yeah, I actually actually believe they acquired an accounting firm. They acquired one. That's UK, and then and then in the in the US, the yeah. the version of that is called Spark, right? That's right, the right. the brand. And do you know if they acquired a, a small accounting firm? They oh, acquired they a firm called Benchley or Bookley, Bookley.co. Book. <laughs> yeah, Benchley or Book. I'm getting They're I'm getting them all mixed up. They're all the same. <laughs> Just kidding. They they acquired a firm called Bookley about a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago, and then they rebranded it literally just about a few months ago, they literally just rebranded as KBMG spark and started promoting that on Facebook. And I actually see their ads everywhere now as well, but that's because probably I Googled them once and then you see their ads. So, so KPMG is actively marketing their small business division called spark at the same time that they're announcing the UK uh, region to have closed the small business division. So this is not a, small business is not working problem. This, this may just be a regional or situational problem. Yeah, or maybe the way they executed it in the UK is didn't work. And maybe the way they are going to execute here in the US because of the, I mean, the sheer volume of small businesses in the US compared to most Western countries. It's, it, it's, it is ridiculous, right? From a volume perspective. Um, even when you compare like the big four offices yeah. In the U.S. to the other countries, it is night and day a different animal um, by size. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just doing that comparison alone is very interesting. But then 
if I'm if I'm in if I'm actively involved in KPMG Spark, am I reading the tea leaves here, <laughs> like on what just happened in the UK and going, whoa, is that going to happen to us? Like, if that small market couldn't pull it off, what's to make us think we can pull it off here, yeah. or vice versa? Maybe it's they didn't have the right tools or the right approach or whatever. Maybe we have the right approach here. You know, that it's very interesting. I I wish I was a fly on the wall on. Yeah, on, on I don't know the full context of what happened in the UK. Right? Yeah, I mean the article was was okay, but it, you know, is it a people problem? Is it a onboarding problem? Is it a cost problem? Like we just, it's hard to it's hard to say for sure. Well, but since we don't know, we're just gonna speculate about the whole thing, right? Yeah, we can just speculate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll move markets in the UK, put big for accounting by our speculation. <laughs> All right, so let let let's start throwing out there some speculation. So, um. Michael, one of the theories is the U.S. market is a lot bigger in terms of small business and UK. And because of that, maybe it'll work in the U.S. Now, I I am not sure if this is a market size problem because the bigger the market size, if you're going to fail at this, the bigger the the investment and the capital uh, loss on this thing. So I I am not 100% sure in the context of accounting if a big firm can serve a small company compared to the the service that they would get from a local small accounting firm. So I don't think that they have, that they don't have the capacity to serve them. I think that by comparison is gonna be a tough uh, thing to, to deal with because the small accounting firms, the small bookkeeping firms, remember the owner's name and, and, and most of the stakeholders remember details about things that are happening in your business. And that's kind of the advantage of being your local small uh, bookkeeper that you're going to be a lot more in touch with the day-to-day. Um, <coughs> part of it is your internal costs are a little, little bit lower. You have a smaller staff and you also have a smaller client base. When you get to the KPMG big four level and you're acquiring small businesses, the big question is, are their teams set up in such a way that it feels like a small firm or does it still, do they play the economies of scale um, and they have a whole bunch of resources uh, on top of everything and then they, they work from there. So it's something to strongly think about and speculate on uh, whether, or not, whether or not the big firms can act like the small firms in order to get the, fir- the companies, the, the, the customers, that feel that they want. Now, does that mean that small business clients go and hire a KPMG, a Price Waterhouse, a Deloitte, or an Ernst & Young for the small business accounting because they want the small firm feel, or are they doing that because they want the big firm feel? So that's another question altogether, uh, whether or not these customers are looking uh, specifically to go with a big firm instead of a small firm because there may be the illusion of, this firm can do more. And I guess that was the theme of t- tonight. It's what can these big firms do that small firms can't and vice versa. You so know, maybe we'll start with that. So I'll send it right back to you, Michael. Yeah. So small firm or medium-sized firm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, first of all, is I'm a small business customer. I've yet to meet a small business customer that goes, I'm going to call one of the big four to help me with my taxes. It's just not even in the thought process it's not even in their brain the brand they, the brand name might not even be there for the, the average entrepreneur in their mind that the big four 
the big four is the big four to people in professional services, people in accounting. But, you know, your 25-year-old friend starting a business, they don't know who KPMG is. They don't know who Deloitte is. They don't even know who the local bookkeeper is, right? So they're going to first go to the who – they're going to go ask around, hey, who should I use for or my go account? To, go to the internet. Yeah, they go to the internet. And who's on Google Maps? Well, Deloitte ain't on your Google Maps for a small business. If you call – you know, if you – in KPMG and whoever, if I call uh, – if I call and I'm like, hey, I just started a business. Can I talk to one of the KPMG partners? I need to get my tax return on. They're going to be like, uh, you might want to call <laughs> somebody else, right? Just from a price point perspective. So my hunch says, what can a big firm do? Well, um, at least in the U.S., the big firms are the only ones that can serve the public companies, right? So then if the better question is, what can a big firm do for small business? I don't know what they can do for a small business there. I guess the big assumption would be first, can they even be at a price point a small business can afford? And that's where we'd have to start is can, so assuming they can operate at a small price point, an affordable price point. Okay. Now like what service can they provide? There's a whole behemoth of services they can do at the higher level that no small, small business accountant can do. For example, um, you know, there's probably some level of, initial public offering they can provide a small business accountant locally. is not going to be able to provide an IPO for you, but you know, these big four firms can do. So I'll just throw that out there is that there's some level of services that they just have sophistication around that a small business accountant is not going to have, assuming the price point can even be there um, for at small business level. What do you think, Andrew or Bob or but, Hector? Yeah. But, but let's also keep this at the context, right? We're talking about a, construction company that does $1.5 million a year is owned by two brothers. It's been seven years mm -hmm. in the business has 12 employees and 20 subcontractors. And that's, that's the target, right? So even if they have sophisticated audit systems and these people are never going to get an audit, doesn't really matter to them. So I, right. I, I don't think like you're saying that they can do these things, but they're never going to be hired to do that anyway. Let's keep it within the context of a small business client working with KPMG, Spark, just to pick on them, not to mention Deloitte control uh, at all, but to say, you no, know, KPMG. But, you, but you bring it up. No, it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, what, what can uh, they do? What can yeah, they do? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a tough thing to say because, uh, you know, like you said, let's keep it in context. Well, okay. So let's say there's a construction company, two brothers. I, I would say... Um, if these brothers want to do some tax planning, um, generally speaking, these big four might have better tax experts that could pro possibly provide a better tax plan if they want to, you know, take advantage of that. The other thing is, you know, if they $1.5 million construction company, maybe they want to expand to a different state, different province, different jurisdictions, uh, they might get some extra help with that. You know, if, for example, Vancouver company has an opportunity to go make a, go bid on a project in Seattle, well, without the big company support, they might be more hesitant to go down and take on these bigger projects because they have so many regulations they have to go through, right? So, I mean, I, I, I would, yeah. So maybe on that side, uh, you know, there's some things that we can provide. Uh, the other things are, you know, for example, ERP, ERP implementation. So 
you know, $1.5 million business construction. Okay. If it's a construction business, maybe that's not so big, but if it's a $1.5 million manufacturing business with inventory, that's probably, well, maybe, maybe not, but probably on the higher end of what an app can handle. And maybe it's a point of, Hey, maybe we should look at NetSuite or maybe we should look at a ERP implementation. Well, in that case, you can call your Deloitte contact and say, you know, bring you in, you know, spend a hundred grand on ERP implementation, but it's all stays within the same umbrella. In terms of cost structure, you know, what I've noticed with control is they've actually structured it in a way that's very smart because they separated it. They created a separate PL just for controls so that all the overhead doesn't get cramped into a, 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 a young fledgling business. So that helps us kind of stay alive because, of, you know, because the cost allocation is a bit different. And the other thing, I, I mean, I think what, um, what, the, what I, I believe is going to make this work is because there's a dedicated team of leaders just focusing on control in Canada. Again, I don't know what's happening in UK. I don't know what's happening to Spark, but I think having existing partners, existing leaders running Spark on the side of their desk is a recipe for failure. You have to have a dedicated team, just as if you're running your own business in the market by you know driving control in, in various ways, whether it be establishing partnerships, driving costs down, taking ownership and those kind of things. And then you talked about, you know, in, uh, taking ownership or sorry, you talked about uh, this, this, this connection you have as business owners. I would say that's a cultural problem, problem or a cultural opportunity and not a big versus, versus small opportunity. I think it's more native in a small business. It's a small uh, accounting firm, but I wouldn't say it's not possible to create in a large firm, especially if you create a sense of ownership, if you incentivize people in a way that rewards them for taking ownership of these files, which you know we can talk about, uh, which is the kind of variable compensation structure we can talk about. But there, there, there's cultural elements you can input. There's incentive imp components you can input to to ensure that you have the right behavior, which is caring for these customers on individual level. So, yeah, I guess that's my response uh, off the cuff here. I think another one interesting to include which also may be speculative because I never worked in a big four firm is that these big, big firms have, okay. We have a fifth guest here. Um, speak a different language, but Bob the dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm saying that these big firms have big legal teams, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I don't, I don't know if they offer actual legal services, but they are so uh, they're surrounded by so many so many folks are in legal that anytime you go into an engagement with, with a company like this, you get the feel that there's a bit more protection around each step that people take, right? So if I'm going to hire a multi-billion dollar accounting firm, yes, it's their small business arm, but a multi-billion dollar accounting firm to do my books. If something goes wrong, they technically have a lot, a lot at stake, right? They have a lot of stake. They can get sued. And you can sue your KPMG for malpractice of bookkeeping and actually get some money out of it where you really can't do that with your local accountant. So you're going to assume that because they're loaded and surrounded with lawyers, they are probably going to be a lot more CYA about everything that they do. And all their decisions are sort of going to run by this, you know, this past this legal muster. And as a small business owner, I may or may not 
want to pay extra for that feeling. So that's something else to think about uh, what happens with bigger companies. Can we get Andrew on? Andrew, are you? Yeah, I, I'm going to disagree with you there because we all have, I mean, at least as CPAs, it's mandatory that we have um, errors and emissions insurance. So there really is no more risk for a large firm than there is a small firm. So I'm going to disagree on that point. Um, it may be a perception though that that um, there's going to be um, greater protection, um, greater benefit to going with a large firm, but I think that that's just perception because um, you know a, any professional has to have errors and admissions insurance. It's part of our professional obligation to have that, and that's our CYA, right? Uh, not to mention all the other rules of professional conduct that we must do. You know, oftentimes the rules governing us by the institute are far greater than the rules governing us by CRA or GAP. Um, so that's my perspective on that. Now, will a big firm have more value to give to um, a, than a smaller firm? I, I think there's the potential that they might um, to what you allude to is the fact that the large, the size of the organization, maybe the scale of buying power, maybe um, the scale of different relationships that they'll have. I, I mean, I know as um, a smaller firm, there's many situations where I've had where I have clients that have potential synergies, then we have the opportunity to connect those people together so that they can help each other. And so if, if large firms actually have the level of communication to make sure that multiple partners are talking to each other and enabling that level of coordination that when you get crossfits between synergistic clients, then you can introduce them and help them to grow. That's going to be a potential huge advantage. Um, not to mention the fact that they're going to have a larger body of knowledge, um, like a knowledge repository. They're going to be going through and dealing with more issues just because the sheer volume of transactions and the sheer volume of clients that they're going to have. Um, what you might have is in a situation, you know, we've, we've talked about in other sections how um, small firms are, um, you know, we all often take on brand new clients and brand new experiences at low and no cost and get experience with it. That's the first time we're experiencing it. And that's the first time we're dealing with it. So we're not going to handle it as well as when we've done that two, three, five, 10, 15, hundred times. So experience breeds knowledge and breeds expertise. And that's the value you're going to hopefully get. Now, my understanding of why KPMG imploded um, overseas was because there wasn't that that level of communication and ultimately the complaints people were having was that it was constant turnover. Um, they were getting a new account manager every six months, which I think I saw was one of the complaints about um, from the customers. And so that level of internal knowledge of just that one client, let alone all the other clients wasn't there. Um, so I think for a big firm to really succeed, it's going to come down to their systems and their knowledge bases and their ability to communicate internally um, so that it's seamless that if I have a new AM or new account manager six months later, from my perception, it's just a name change, but that guy is just as knowledgeable and understands my file just as much as the guy who was there, you know, six months ago. And it looks and sounds like KPMG wasn't able to do that. Um, I know, and, and I've talked to you guys, and, and I've done lots of research myself into trying to find the right, right tools and technology to enable me as a much, much, much smaller firm to be able to do that. And that's something I'm struggling with at my level. So I can't, I struggle with how a large firm will overcome that obstacle when you scale that out 100 
or a thousand times. So yeah, no, that, that's a great point, Andrew. Like uh, the reality of you, you almost have to approach this as, and like every large company where you have account managers, but for the small business owner, they know if they're going to be signing up to pay two, three, four hundred bucks a month, they're probably not going to have Joe for three or four years, right? As their account manager, they're going to have Joe in three months. They might have Kelly in three months. They might have Beth. But as well, long as the bookkeeping's consistent and being done and the history's there, and I don't have to retrain the customer service agent on everything where all of my calls have been recorded, all of my information about my files been recorded. Um, you know, you, I can call and go, Oh, and they can have a, they have a record of when I call, they have a record of my complaints or my, whatever the problem is. As long as that's a consistent thing. Like I think any of us, when we subscribe to a service like this, a mass service, that's less than a few hundred dollars a month. We really expect, you know, a customer service experience that's consistent, but we don't expect the same dude every single time, right? We don't expect the same girl or guy. And that's what you pay a premium dollar for at a, at a different place, right? You say, I'd want a dedicated person and I'm willing to pay premium for. Um, so I think the customer expectation shifts, um, even though it's a, a big KPMG brand name behind it. I think there's a reality when you're paying that little for a service, your, your expectation kind of shifts of what you're going to get end up getting out of it. Um, and with, with the, with the other side of being, well, at least it's consistent and because it's got that brand name behind it, I, I can, I can hopefully rely on it that it's being done right. And that I don't know if it's being done right, but if they say it is and they file my tax return, they're going to defend me with, to the, to the government that they're filing it with. So why do I care? And they probably throw in some kind of guarantee, like two hundred bucks a month. And if we file your return, you're going to guarantee the audit. Okay. Like, here you go. Why would I care if it's right or wrong? And if it's, you know, what can I, what better can I do? I don't want to take the time. So if I'm sitting there as an entrepreneur, it, it's, it's a still a good deal, right? It's still a good deal. Yeah. As long as the firm, like you said, Andrew, can keep it consistent over and over again. Well, I gotta say there's two fundamental flaws there. Um, so on a notice to reader, no one can ever guarantee an audit because you're relying, it's, it's hundred percent based on the information provided by the client. That's the purpose of a notice to reader. So you by definition can't guarantee an audit on that because you're relying on the client's information. Um, secondly, what's the model of a big firm when it comes to staff up or out, right? We've all heard it. So if it's up or out that by definition means if you get, if you, if you're lucky enough to start with someone good, they're going to be, they're going to be moving up and, and out of your book. And if you end up with someone's shit, they're going to be out too. So you cannot by definition, build a relationship with a big firm because of their strategy of up or out. So Bob, What's your take on that? <laughs> yeah, so um, I mean, it's a <laughs> good question. Um, first of all, everything rises and falls on leadership. So I think there's a lot of cultural and leadership uh, components that, you know, those soft skills, the soft components that uh, really impacts a culture. The other thing I want to address is, you know, finding the right people. So for example, at, even at Legacy Advantage, my pre previous firm, we hired a very, very awesome qualified CPAs who were more than willing to work with us uh, in the bookkeeping capacity because they valued um, flexibility, like a workplace flexibility over 
uh, career advancement. And so in these circumstances, they don't really care up or out. They just want a great job that they can work from, work from, work from home, have stable hours, uh, you know, great team, and they're happy with that. But that doesn't that conflict with what big firms are known for? Like, isn't that like literally the polar opposite of what I understand as a big firm? And maybe, and I'm completely biased. I never worked at the big firms, so I don't know. But the well, I mean, impression yes. I've always... To, to an extent, you, you are correct, but you got to understand that control is a completely separate team with a different culture, different compensation you know, model, a different revenue model, different management style. It's a different way of thinking. You know, you can't plug a traditional accountant into the bookkeeping space, into the bookkeeping role, because... You know, they're not going to do a great job. You need to find the right people with the right attitude to be in these bookkeeping positions. I guess that comes down to if you have the right partners in charge, because if you have the right partners um, within the firm willing to give you that level of freedom and control and the results are there, I guess it'll work. Um, it's, I guess, if you just happen to have one of the older partners who's more traditional, uh, it could it could implode, yeah. and maybe that's what happened in in London. Yeah, um, I don't know. And, Who knows? And yeah. So it, I think a lot. I'd of say eighty to ninety percent of our team is all remote, working from their homes, and that's very very uh, different and uh, challenging for the traditional Deloitte culture. But they had to make it work because then you don't have to give people office space, which is a great you know area opportunity for savings and. And it allows up for us to hire these people that value flexibility over money. Do you I think, oh, sorry, I, I apologize. I'm just so curious on this stuff. Yeah. Um, does Control hire um, from Deloitte? Do they bring people in from the other thing or do they only hire ex from external? They only hire external. Interesting. Well, I do want to make a point that tonight is not a grill session of Bob Wing's job. Or I'm sorry, job, Bob. That, that's which, what I was going to say. Which, Andrew, like which Andrew was supposed to abide by. So just to make that really clear. And I'm he, sorry. I had technical problems. I missed the rules. I'm yeah, blaming it on the yeah, technology. Yeah. Continues sorry, Bob. Pass the buck. You know um, I, I believe if anyone can make control work, it's going to be you, Bob. Yeah. So I have a lot of faith in you. Um, and and I, I think it would just be really interesting to see Deloitte um, to do a great job of this. Um, so I, I'm not player hating. Um, uh, you know, I always just all good, share man. my good. Sometimes if, I should just shut up. If we ever want Bob to come back on this show, then we will continue to honor and respect the rules. Anyways, I do want to say a point about what Bob said about um, CPAs and frankly, over I would call it, consider overqualified professionals that want to come work for firms like Bob had built at Legacy like I've built it reconciled. Um, we consistently get applicants who are way overqualified, CPAs, MBAs, out of big four, out of big accounting firms, knowing they will take 50%, 60% pay cuts. And it is very interesting, the psychology of what people desire and what ultimately people value. And compensation is not... Uh, the primary mechanism for, I would say for the majority of people, because it people learn, especially professionals who are smart and talented and can get a job at a big four or a big, a big firm. They learn very quickly that the money they're getting doesn't satisfy them. That money, there's a trade-off to it. The trade-off is a lower quality of life, higher stress, 
Maybe they get a wide variety of opportunity. Maybe they get a wide variety of advancement. But what are you trading in? Small, a very, very small social life. You basically have just sold, sold your life to the a firm like that. Two-hour commute. Two-hour commute, exactly. Flying everywhere. You, 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 you don't. You really have a social life. Your life is the firm, and uh, and so, um, and so the reality is, you know, getting those. I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm constantly surprised, and I go, well, of course, I'm, we're not. I'm surprised. We're offering something. We're offering gold that no one else is offering. We're offering a lifestyle. We're offering a values. We're offering mission, a purpose that they resonate with so much so that they're willing to give 50, you know, downgrade compensation by 50 to $75,000 a year. And that is crazy. And of course there's opportunities to grow at firms like ours, but not like the same that you would get at a bigger CPA firm. And so that's, it's very interesting to see the trade-offs because the val the, the dollar value or the value of things like flexibility of remote work, of tech tools, of forward thinking, of leadership, that values you as a human being. It's hard to quantify that, but obviously from a compensation perspective, there are people willing to take the leap. And so, um, Bob, you know, you mentioned, that. I just want to agree with you on that and say wholeheartedly. And that's been a, a common, interesting point of recruiting that we've seen at Reconcile. Hector, any, any thoughts that you have? I was, <clears throat> I was going to mention earlier when we were uh, drilling Bob on questions about Deloitte and control is that, a big four firm acquiring an existing bookkeeping firm, accounting firm that has a book of business, that has a process, that has employees, and they're going to assimilate them into the big four culture over time. It's very different than, hey, let's start selling bookkeeping services today. You know, that's a whole another ballgame, right? So um, the perspective that, that Bob brings into here, into this, may be different than other perspectives that we may have about, hey, big company offering bookkeeping and accounting. And interesting enough, this was the week where this, is, this was kind of an interesting topic because um, QuickBooks, right, into it, started testing uh, either the viability or the market interest for potentially offering bookkeeping services to their clients directly through QuickBooks. So they'll pay an additional, whatever the dollar value is, okay, they pay an additional amount, and then they get bookkeeping services. Now, this is a test. They're just, it's clickbait, really. Uh, you click on it, and you kind of see what happens, and they're probably measuring clicks and seeing, hey, from what part of the country are people clicking? How are they feeling after they get the thing that says, this is just a test for now, sign up with QuickBooks anyway, no, no, no bookkeeping service, and then maybe they save that email and market to them later. We, we have no idea what that's going to look like. But um, I released on my podcast my thoughts about the possibility of a world where a big company can afford to undercut the small companies and offer something really small, really affordable, kind of like the way Amazon did with, you know, Walmart did with mom and pop and Amazon's doing it to Walmart, that type, the sort of thing. This stuff can happen. And the KPMGs and the Deloitte's of the world, I'm not sure if they're going to attack the, the sort of the low-end market. I, it doesn't sound like that's what they'll do. They'll probably attack the higher end of the small business market. They're going to transition to the uh, mid-market or they want to look 
for clients in which they can help transition into it so they can get into the big value add, big advisory type services. But that's likely not what, what a company like QuickBooks or or Zero or Bench or Indinero or whatever, right? These half software, half service companies, if they integrate everything within it. I think if anything, Intuit is probably trying to catch the lowest end of the market, the underserved, the small businesses that just started that can't afford an accountant and pick up a couple hundred bucks. And I don't know if this is a potential revenue stream for them that they want to pursue. I don't know if they're just trying to learn from the bookkeepers to say, to see how does this business work. I don't know if they're trying to just create a bigger pool of clients they can send back to the pro advisors. Who knows what the end game is? And honestly, I don't work for Intuit and I'm not enough in the know to, to tell you everything would be speculative, but I think it's an interesting premise, right? That, um, that, that, that now we have the small accountants, small business bookkeepers that they really didn't have a competition. You know, the, the competition was themselves. Now they're bumping up against big four who's, who's offering small business accounting on one side. And now on the other side, I'm bumping up against software companies so it feels like the, the, the walls are getting narrower and narrower and yeah. some people are freaking out. I understand yeah. oh, exactly yeah. what, what they would. So I think it's an interesting conversation and transition to make to talk about that specifically. So what happens when a big company can offer bookkeeping services that are going to be on the lower end in the price point, not necessarily in the higher end of the price yeah. point. I, I, I had a great conversation with my sales guy and with my whole team. I let my whole team you know, when it went public, I let my whole team know, hey, this is public. You can go to the QuickBooks website and look it up. They're launching their own, they're testing their own quick bookkeeping service. I said, hey, you know, I, and, and I, I just brought, brought them reassurance. Guys, this gives us two opportunities. One is innovation. How are we going to innovate? How are we going to see this as an opportunity for us to go up market and provide more value, more value than what somebody's going to get um, out of $200 a month? Um, here's the reality as QuickBooks online software gets better and better, which we want them to, then this is inevitable. At some point, it won't even be bookkeepers. It'll be AI doing the bookkeeping work. It'll just be, so whether it's a human being in some, in the U S or overseas, or if it's, or if it's software, their data, they have so much data, they're going to do this. So 200 a month, 300 a month, whatever it is. So that's how do we go upstream? The second thing, thing is for my sales guy, which was great was saying to him, Hey, sales guy. Let's raise our, our minimum now. Let's go up market. Let's double. Let's go our, instead of having a minimum around 250 to 300, let's go up. Let's make the minimum five. If any customer want, needs to go lower, let's refer them over to Intuit. Let's refer them over. And if they enjoy the experience, they'll stay and because they were price sensitive. If they don't enjoy the experience and they realize having the, uh, a remote human being that is part of a reconciled team and the value we provide, uh, then they're going to pay that premium, so that that that's what that's what I would you know that's what I think I, where I would land. On, on the side of of worry from from a stockholder's perspective, because I, I own stock in uh, in Intuit, I own stock in Intuit, Apple, and I used to own stock and log me in, but now I use TeamViewer, so that's, they're not public, so whatever. Um, so I, I try to own stock in all the tools that I use. But uh, one of the, the, the things that I was thinking about, uh, uh, Michael, and um, I'm worried that the concept of 
hey, go do your bookkeeping with QuickBooks. And if it doesn't work, come to us. Whether that is going to be a positive experience, because I don't think our, our customers are going to differentiate QuickBooks, the bookkeeping service, and QuickBooks, the software. Because it, right now, if I'm having an issue sending an invoice or something, and I'm getting you know that circling thing of, of death, and I'm like, oh, geez. And the customer says, what's, what's wrong? And I'm like, ah, it's QuickBooks. You know? it's, I wash my hands in it. I have nothing to do with it. But what happens when QuickBooks and the bookkeeper are the same from the customer's eyes? So something wrong with the software is something wrong with the bookkeeper. Something wrong with the bookkeeper is something wrong with the software, right? So that to me, it's, it's a potential risk that they're taking where our customers are not sophisticated enough to separate, oh, that's a human being committing a human being bookkeeping error, which by the way, bookkeeping is a difficult profession. People think that they can just do this. It, it is, it is, it's not an easy profession. So if they're going to get brilliant people, more power to them. I have no idea how they're going to price it at $200 or $300 a month. But if they can get brilliant bookkeepers to do it, that will be okay. But honestly, Intuit has great employees, but nothing at the beginning goes the way you want it to go. This is a $56 billion startup bookkeeping business. you know, And customers are just not going to be okay with a journal entry being jacked up or you know something not working with the software, I think they're going to conflate the service and the software. And in, in many times, the pro-advisors were the buffer. We were the buffer between the software frustrations and the client not understanding what the heck is going on. And we were the buffer. Similar to, like I was arguing with my aunt who's a realtor, and I was telling her that realtors are pretty much useless and worthless and they shouldn't exist. I had no clue why we needed a person. That's only Hector's opinion. That's yes. only his opinion. Not True, exactly, opinion. exactly. And I was telling her, I'm like, dude, there's no need for you to have a realtor. Like we, we, we're two adult people transacting with each other. Why the hell do we need a realtor? And she said, Hector, keyword, buffer. I said, buffer? The heck are you talking about? She says, it's a buffer, Right. Buying a house, it's a very delicate experience. Selling a house is a delicate experience, a lot of emotions. What the realtors do is they get in the middle of it and they translate all the emotional side into the business side and then make the deal work. And, and that made me think quite a bit in this situation where I think the accountants and the pro-advisors are the buffer between software and anything can go wrong with software or bank connectivity or something automatically being classified wrong or the next five years of AI experiments, because AI is one huge experiment, right? And it will be for the next five years. We are the only ones that can, that can enhance that experience. And I think that the potential problem with this, or what can make this fail, is if they don't do a good job at being able to split off and separate the two as two separate distinct things. And when you go buy it, if you pay one price, even if it's separated into two things, I pay one price. To me, that's everything. Everything's included. Everything's inclusive. So that's, that's one of my worries. There's a whole bunch, but that was one of my worries uh, when this first thing came about of even saying, you know what, just go to QuickBooks and if it doesn't work, come back to us. Because if it doesn't work, they may just say screw QuickBooks altogether and they'll go to zero or some platform that I don't, I don't support. So I also see a potential loss of a client there. So I'm not 100% sure if, send, if sending them over to QuickBooks it's going to be the safest thing if I don't trust, trust it yet. That's a good point, Hector. 
you know, the, the other, I was just thinking about why they would be doing this. You know, if they are truly a software company, then their main drivers sell more licenses. And I think what not necessarily worries me is just, you know, what could be um, not damaging, but what could be scary <laughs> is if they're like, look, we're going to offer bookkeeping services at cost. You know, the, the $200 price point is really our $500 price point and our level of $500 a month service because, you know, we have, we, our services include a profit. Therefore, you know, our better service, our better staff are priced at $500 because we have to make a profit on the labor. Whereas Intuit may be saying, look, we're just going to offer this at cost. We care zero about our, our profit margins on labor. We just want to make sure we're selling licenses. If that's the case, you know, they're offering better prices, great labor, you know, great service at, at cost. Like it, I think that would be kind of crazy, kind of scary. That's a utopia. <laughs> it's a dream. Um, and I, I tend to agree with, with Hector here. And again, as a, as a shareholder of the company and a big fan of the company, um, I think that they made a, a bit of a, a mistake here. Um, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I know that one of the things I've talked over and over again with them is that they know that when they connect someone with an accountant or a bookkeeper, they have the, a far like, better likelihood of that person staying on the product, which is their intent. I don't think their intent was to alienate the bookkeepers in the community. Um, their goal was to connect more people who don't have a bookkeeper to someone so that they um, become a good business who uses the product longer. I think that that was their intent. Um, but I think that it's, it's a miss because I think what, what's going to happen is I don't think they're going to really get any more connections than they would with someone who would go out and search the ProAdvisor network to find an accountant. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to alienate some of the bookkeepers who are referring the, the people. And I think as Hector points out rightly is that if someone has a bad experience with a bookkeeper that they bring on who maybe not who may not have as much knowledge as some of the professionals in the pro advisor network that the association of the bad experience with the bookkeeping ties back to the product. And even though they come back to Michael Lee to say, okay, I want you to do the bookkeeping. They're saying you can do the bookkeeping, but I don't want it done in QuickBooks because that was the whole disaster. And so they assume that the product was a disaster as opposed to the experience. Uh, so I think it's a big risk that they're running um, it also, I, I'm, I'm shocked because I believe Hector, you went on to try and test out the, the product and they're marketing and advertising, but you can't actually sign up for the service. So one that's going to piss off people who are like, Oh, there's a service. Let me sign up for that. I, and then you can't plus you've actually pissed off the people by telling pissed off the bookkeepers by saying we're now quote unquote competing with you for, for those people who feel that this is a competition to what they're doing. Um, and yet you haven't, you haven't increased the revenue, you haven't increased the connection, you haven't actually moved the needle on anything other than reduced your net promoter score, which is the thing that they measure everything on. So I know that what, where the intent and where they were coming from was, um, but I think at this point, I'd say this looks like it's a bit of a fail uh, at, at first launch. Maybe they, it's time for them to um, pivot and, and try something new, but... I guess that's ultimately up to them. You don't uh, think so, Hector? I, I'm going to say something I haven't said in this podcast yet. I'm going to disagree with you, Andrew. My turn to disagree with you. So 
the fact that we are talking about this and podcasts are talking about it and people are discussing it, it's, it is testament that this was needed, okay? Because if we would not be so vehement against this, right, then we wouldn't even have mentioned it. We wouldn't have cared about the whole thing. But the fact that people are talking about it, they're discussing it, they're asking questions, we're speculating about some, you know, some, some uh, dystopian future state where this is not going to work, which, by the way, I think that the chances that it will work are low, but it can work. I think it can work. I mean, come on. If I started my business with $5,000 in my pocket and I got to where I was today, I think a $56 billion company can pull this off. So I think that Andrew, you're, you're, you may be this, you may be discrediting their capacity to do this. What I said is the risk. I said this risk, risk of customer service, risk of brand, risk of, you know, people wanting to disassociate with a bad experience, still within the assumption and the framework that this will go wrong. However, the fact that we're talking about it, it's now giving, now into it, coming into this, they had some knowledge, right? Or some idea of the, what they wanted. I am sure that what I've said, what David Leary said, what uh, Oliver Blake, Blake Oliver said in the podcast, what, what people are writing in Facebook, all this information they're reading and they're saying, shoot, we didn't think about this. We didn't think about that. Hector's right. You know, we, we, how, how do we decouple a potential bad experience? You know, are we charging by the, are we going to pay by the hour and charge fixed rate? How are we going to manage that? Who's going to manage this? Should we acquire Michael Lee's company who's, who's offered many times in this podcast, he wants to be acquired. Should we acquire Michael Lee's company and do this and kind of do what Deloitte did? So I think that we are just, just teasing it in the market, right? Just having a place where people click and create all sorts of stories, uninformed, you know, uninformed speculation about it. It's creating enough information and discussion and buzz so they can read read up upon it and make it and, and when they execute because I don't think this is I don't think this is clickbait I think they're gonna execute it we're gonna see how it works but they're gonna execute it I went to the Intuit Careers website and there's active uh, job postings for a bookkeeper and their description looks exactly like the, my job description that I post when I search a bookkeeper for my office so nothing about this tells me that they're not going through with it right. So, and, and again, Andrew, I don't think that this is already a failure. This is not by far already a failure. This is actually a huge win because we're getting people to talk about it. And the more people that freak out about it, the more of an indication that this is probably what the future is going to take us to. When Uber came out, all taxi drivers were up in arms. All the, what do you call those organizations that protect uh a particular profession, uh, the, uh, what do you call those things? Unions? The what? Uni unions? Yeah, all the unions for taxi drivers and drivers and licensed transportation workers were up in arms about this. The states and the cities and the municipalities are all suing Uber because they knew that the alternative coming from an outsider was better than the status quo. Now, QuickBooks is technically not an outsider, but they are a software company that's entrenching or potentially entrenching into the accounting business and the accounting profession. Uber was a software company that entrenched and rattled the transportation profession. And Airbnb was a software company that transformed the lodging 
uh, industry. So don't you think that whoever comes in and disrupts the industry will likely be a software company? It, I think it will be. Now, will Intuit be it? I don't know. Intuit has a very special relationship with accountants, or at least they pay lots of lip service about it. And by the way, I have a great relationship with Intuit personally, a very great relationship, working relationship, symbiotic relationship. I know Michael does as well. Andrew does as well. I'm, I'm not sure about Bob uh, because I haven't talked to Bob about that. But, but, but Michael, Andrew, and I have been in, in close circles with Intuit to talk about their development, the products and their vision and the mission and where they're going. Not about this service, but in general, we love the company. We know where they're going. We want to see them succeed and we want to see this relationship work. But, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're the ones that shake us up, if they're the ones that change the standard, if they're the ones that say, you know what, guys, you guys have protected your profession for so long. You're sitting so comfortable with your thumb up your ass, right? Because you know how to reconcile a bank. Boo-hoo, what the hell? That's not even a skill, you know? But because we know how to do it and customers are too damn lazy to do it, then we, then we, do we own this? No, no. Plus the banks have connection with QuickBooks and the credit cards and all these digital systems are going to be able to talk to each other. They're going to have better information collectively that we as a bookkeepers with experience will have about the context of the transactions. Maybe Intuit or whatever faceless company offers a bookkeeping service doesn't have a personal relationship with a small business owner. They don't have the empathy. They don't understand what goes on in their day-to-day -day work. That's true. And we, we can still hang on to that. That's our lifeline. But the actual keying in of data and classifying, I hate to say it, but that's going to disappear. I don't know what the timeline is. I don't want to play, you know, futurist. But that is going to happen. Just like writing stuff in a ledger mm -hmm. doesn't happen anymore, right? Just like going to the bank to get bank statements. Granted, some people still do that. That doesn't happen anymore. Just like that, you know, our industry has already been transformed. I think the next three to five years are going to make your head spin in how quickly this thing will move. And just the fact that there's so much turbulence and discussion about this should alarm you and all the people that fear this, where they're going back to, oh, okay, what do I protect? How do I protect it? Instead of figuring out how to change and adapt and differentiate themselves so they can not just survive it, they can thrive in it or thrive with it, right? What do taxi drivers do? What, what do taxi drivers do? 90% of taxi drivers are Uber drivers. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. They switched. They you know, switched. And we've got, we got a few minutes. Why don't you everyone give their final thoughts on this topic? I, I'll, I'll give mine real quick. These are my final thoughts. I'm absolutely fascinated by this launch that Intuit does. I, I do agree that Bob, uh, what Bob said, um, there's probably there's probably a reality of you know on some some speculating, um, keeping more users in QuickBooks Online, drawing more users to QuickBooks Online. Not all users in QuickBooks Online are connected to an accountant, right? They know the stats. So even if they marketed to do just people not connected to Quick, not not already on QuickBooks Online or don't have a uh, don't have a pro advisor connected, um, they they they'd be a big win for them to keep users on. 
But secondly, I want them to win on this. You know, we all, we all really love and enjoy into it. I want them to succeed on this because I want to see how this changes the industry. I want to see if this really amps up, as we all talked about, brings the game up for all the bookkeepers, all the accountants um, in the industry. So whatever, whatever happens, I, I want to see it succeed. And I want to see how it will push uh, my firm and Reconciled and others like us to, to do better um, and to innovate and to think, think creatively. And I want to see it make QuickBooks Online a better product. Right? I want to be able to offer to tell people, hey, QuickBooks Online has everything you need and even more so now. So I'm really fascinated and, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this fleshes out um, and, and how we can be a part of it, if any. So I, I agree with you too. And again, from a biased perspective as a shareholder, I want to see them succeed too because it helps my bottom line. Um, and I, I think that they're... They've told us from day one, as long as I've been going to QB Connect conferences, that bookkeeping is a dying business. Um, you know, they've always told us it would be automated away. Um, so I don't think it's, it's a sh it shouldn't be a shock to anyone who's part of this community that that industry is dying. I don't think any of us are naive to that. Where I think that this was a bit of a communication failure is because, you know, uh, Hector, you talked about the, this being a great learning experience for them getting all this feedback but they're experts on getting great feedback from us in other less disruptive, less abrasive ways. They do the follow me homes. They do the councils. Um, they do AB beta testing with their software. Why wasn't this an AB beta test when they had the service ready to go with people who weren't actually connected to accountants to reach out to them and say, hey, notice you're not connected. We now offer this service as opposed to a big splashy ad, get everyone talking because where I get concerned is that the, the backlash that it could cause and the, the negative impact it could have on my stock. Um, I know from my relationship and my experience with the people because I have such a good relationship with, with the people that their intent was positive. I, I know that because I, I have such good relationships with the people at Intuit that their intent was, I believe, to connect these people who weren't already connected with accountants and bookkeepers to do it. And they're not the cheapest solution out there. Like we've talked about before about what is it, BotKeeper? Um, and and it's $100 a month at, for BotKeeper. <laughs> so they're not like coming in at this lowball undercutting price. They're really trying... I think they want to try to deliver um, a service to help um, small business owners, which is their which is their mantra, right? Like that's their their raison d'être to to help small business owners succeed. So I think they're trying to achieve their mission. Uh, I just think it was a bit of fail on a communication side because of the the fact that it is being talked about negatively. And I know there is that thought that there's no such thing as bad press, um, but I think in a in an industry where we value our relationship with Intuit so much and they put such a strong emphasis on the relationship between the accountants and the bookkeepers and Intuit that this has the um, possibility of creating backlash. In fact, it, it has already created backlash. It doesn't take, for me, it doesn't take any love for me away from the organization. I don't personally feel threatened by it, but I can understand how some people may feel threatened by it. And that's the only reason I think that this was a fail. Not that they're trying to explore it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Not that the price that they're doing. I think that it's just, that instead of them doing it the way 
I know they're usually roll software out, which is an AB test. Let's offer this to people who we believe need the service. Let's do some follow me homes. Let's talk to people. It's, this is just so um, unusual to me in the way they normally roll things out. Normally it's, they do this AB testing, they do cancel, they have discussions. Um, you know, it's, everyone understands that this is coming down the road. And for even those people who may not like it, they've had the chance to have their input and say, and unless I wasn't a part of any of those conversations and maybe they were going on at U.S. Council. Um, Andrew, the, on, the one thing I tell you is if they had asked the top 100 pro advisors, let's call that, if they had asked, what do you think about this? What percentage would have said, great idea, roll with it? But, but you're arguing that the whole advantage out of this is that all the feedback for all the things that they didn't think of are coming out now. What I'm saying is they wouldn't have got a good the, idea to roll with it, but they would have been gotten the feedback of I, why Andrew, it wouldn't work. Andrew, you wish, you wish you had the power into it had to test stuff. You wish that of you course. had a million people hitting your website and, and being able to move a graphic here, a graphic here, a text here, a click here, a reaction here. You wish you had that power into yes. it semi-exploiting it to gauge the interest on the market. And for all we know, two years later, this may increase the connectivity of QuickBooks to pro advisors twofold, threefold, because QuickBooks did this as a gateway. Again, I'm putting a halo around into its head here, right? They, they did this and they did it as a gateway drug to get small companies thinking that it is affordable and it's not a stigma to go with a bookkeeper. And then they used it and then they routed back to a pro advisor and the symbiotic relationship continues and the relationship gets stronger. And we go back and delete this podcast because we're embarrassed about our <laughs> predictions of the future. That could happen. Yeah, that, the deleting same, this podcast is definitely could happen. <laughs> and, at the same, and at the same time, the complete opposite can happen, right? And this could be the uberization of bookkeeping. Both scenarios are real and are factual, right? If you are listening to this and watching this, do you, do you count on it being B or A, or do you hedge for either direction, right? And right now do whatever it takes to do for your customers to hire you because you are not a software company offering bookkeepers because you're an advisor, because you're a partner to the business. So if anything, this lights a rocket up our ass so we can truly transform our profession for the better because I don't know if it will be my lifetime or five years or 10 years or 20 years, software will replace us. Computers and, and, and software mm -hmm. replaces all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Little by little, right? We started with car manufacturers and now we're going to uh, you know, telemarketers, right? I, I, bookkeeping is next, guys. Bookkeeping <laughs> is next. The banks talk to QuickBooks directly. Right. There's a beta test or, 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 or something in the QuickBooks labs that you can turn on. I was looking at a video and it downloads your Amazon transactions with pictures, with details straight into QuickBooks. Wow. Wow. Right. And, and this can be, po this is possible. And what happens when, what happens when credit card companies all get together and say, <laughs> we don't print receipts anymore. We send receipts digitally straight into your QuickBooks software. Right. And your QuickBooks software can read the context of the receipt and separate sales tax and alcohol or whatever and, and, and give you suggestions based on what other, the, the average of what 5 million people do right. and be 95% accuracy. And guess what? Clients don't care 
about the alternative that's shitty and crappy, but it's still 95% accurate. accurate. They're going to go with the alternative because it's cheaper because nobody cares about their bookkeeper. Nobody really does. They care now because they're solving a problem now. Right. But when that problem no longer exists, they will no longer care. And that's, and that's what software companies do. They make those problems go away, regardless of who gets hurt by it, regardless of what industry gets hurt, hurt by it. Uber took care of it. Taxis are obsolete. People hate taxis. People avoid taxis. Uber did it. Airbnb did it, right? Who's going to do it for bookkeeping? We don't know. What are bookkeepers going to do? Change, yeah. transform, be different. And don't try to compete with a software company because you will never win. <laughs> Bob, do you want to close us out? Oh man, uh, so much, so, uh, so much great information, so, so much great thought. Um, I think one of the first things that popped into my mind uh, is the concept of blue ocean, red ocean. You know, we talked about that a little bit. Oh, you guys talked about that a little bit in the past. And, and it really does seem, you know, there's way, there's more and more competitors in this space. And there's two ways out of a blue, red ocean, a highly competitive market. And that's number one is to niche. Or number two, find a new blue ocean. And I think to an extent, that's what you're talking about is how do you find a new space where there's not as much competition, where you're differentiated, where it's a whole new different strategy to approach the same problem. So, you know, I, we are, we as, as Deloitte, as Control, we are exploring, we understand this is coming. We're exploring new ways uh, to, to innovate. We are trying to uh, innovate with the software approach and, you know, it may work, it may not work. A group of accountants trying to create software is a, is a recipe for awesome, <laughs> awesomeness or a recipe for disaster. Um, but hopefully we can do a good job. But, uh, you know, we are trying. So, you know, keep trying uh, to find new ways to differentiate yourself and prepare for the, for the, for the future that, that will be inevitable. And whether it be three years or five years, or 10 years, you know, as long as you're ready, you won't be caught by surprise. And thank you, Bob, for saying everything I wanted to say, but I didn't know how to say it. And instead of, I got passionate and started fear mongering, which is just, just you a little Donald bit. Trump. Just <laughs> a little bit, right, right, exactly, exactly. Just a little bit of fear mongering to get people thinking and get the bus going. It's just, it's just media. The media loves me. I, I, I'm going to use software to see how many times Hector referred to the bottom end of your seat um, or the stuff that comes out of it. He, he There's probably about 100 times that he referred to those two things. On this, well, I thought he was going to refer to the, the Spark ad with the jar at one point. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No Andrew. comments there, Hector? Again. Andrew, no one knows what I'm talking about. No one continually inappropriate as Andrew is. I found it very ironic for Andrew. I find it very ironic for Andrew to comment on Intuit's communication fail. <laughs> I found that very ironic for some reason. I, you know, I love the organization, and oh, yeah. and, and that's why, you know, I, I and I have no qualms with them getting into this market. Um, and I just I hate it when we get all sorts of people who are now unhappy with the organization because it affects my stock price. Well, not yet it hasn't. Well, with that note, Andrew, you're heading off to uh, QuickBooks Connect UK. Is that right? I'll be doing UK. And I think what's what's really interesting when you think about UK, um, they've got a whole day on a major transformation that's coming down the line in in the UK, which might be a topic for uh, our another 
day. Um, do you guys, any of you aware of what's happening in the UK and the changes, the mandatory rules to use digital um, technology for filing VAT? No. Yeah, so they're basically having automated um, tax uh, through their VAT system and people must use digital um, systems to report their VAT, which means they must use something like QuickBooks to record all their transactions. Oh. They can't, um, I mean, there's some, you can use Excel if you use a middleware and all this other stuff. Uh, can't go into it in the three minutes we have left, but people should look into what's going on over there because I wouldn't be surprised if what happens over there will eventually be happening in Canada and potentially the US. And so I think when we start looking globally, that's why I love these international conferences. Um, when we start looking at what's happened in Australia, what's now happening in the UK, um, and what could potentially be coming down the road for us as Canadians and US people, uh, these are good things to be on the ball of and aware of um, because they're having some big major implications in the UK and people should look into what that's all about. When you come back, you'll have to, uh, you'll have to update us on what you learn. And yeah. And I'll be going live from there. So everyone follow me on Facebook so you can hear all about uh, all the interesting stuff that they're doing over in the UK and the hackathon, which should be, which should be fun. That's great. Well, have a great night guys. This has been great. Great Love topic. Good night. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. Sorry, Bob. <laughs>